0: The Designated Mourner. I am the Designated Mourner. I have to tell you that a very special little world has died and I am the designated mourner. Oh, yes, you see, it's an important custom in many groups and tribes. Someone is assigned to grieve, to wail, and light the public ritual fire. Someone is assigned when there's no one else. You know, Weeks go by when I don't think about them. But sometimes on mornings like this, certain gray mornings when I'm drinking my tea and looking out at the sky, do you remember the sound, the sort of rustling sound that birds would make when they suddenly alighted on a tree? It's as if Judy would suddenly appear quite near me, carefully applying her bright red lipstick, a somewhat cold expression on her face. And Howard, too, he would appear, grand and majestic, resplendent in his huge bed. He always took such magnificent care of his dressing gowns, even the pajamas. They seemed to last forever. Christ, you know, I remember so clearly the moment. When was that? Years ago, when someone was saying, if God didn't like assholes, he wouldn't have made so many of them. And the person who was saying it looked right at me (laughs) as he said it. (laughs) I think someone asked me, say, are you all right? And I said, you know, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't bother me. I mean, I'm fine, really. By the way, do you remember when people used to say that all the time? I'm fine, really. I'm fine, really. (laughs) I remember once saying to Judy, I don't sort of understand this need you have to look for beauty in subtler things. Look at your own hand. Look at your hand. The plate, the cake, the table.
1: I guess the search for more refined techniques of execution never comes to an end. After all, there are so many ways that life can be squeezed out of a human body. Can a method be found that is more in keeping with the essential sweetness of our human nature A rather cruel queen once plaintively asked. Or so it said. I loved him so much it was a kind of torture. Every morning, waiting, watching his face in those long moments of sleep and half-sleep as he turned and stretched. I sat there beside him, my hand beside him, not touching him. And pain would fill up my body inch by inch, as if someone were pouring it out of a pitcher.
0: You see, I think we ought to be precise about facts. I mean very, very precise about historical facts. Or, I mean, for God's sake, let's try to be. Or, I mean, for God's sake, let's pretend to be, or something, anyway. (laughs) Well, at any rate, there are those who believe that it was a columnist for a newspaper called the New York Sun who, in 1902, first coined that wonderful pair of neatly matching phrases,
1: highbrow and lowbrow. Then I would watch him wake up. I would touch his face, his neck, his mouth, kiss him. The one thing that Jack would never say, the word he couldn't stand, Love, I love you.
0: A highbrow was a person who liked the finer things. You know, saving the Rembrandt from the burning building rather than the baby or whatever. While a lowbrow was someone who you might say liked to take the easy way in the cultural sphere. Oh, the funny papers, pin-ups, you know, cheap entertainment.
1: There are ideas that are almost like formalized greetings. Everyone agrees with them, but we keep repeating them anyway all day long. Everyone keeps saying, for example, human motivation is very complex. But if you stop and think about it, you have to admit that human motivation is not complex. Or it's complex Only in the way that the motivation of a fly is complex. In other words, if you try to swat a fly, it moves out of the way. And humans are the same. They step aside when they sense something coming about to hit them in the face. Of course, you do see the occasional exception. The person who just stands there and waits for the blow. I love silence, the beauty of silence, the shadows of trees, Japanese monasteries buried in snow, surrounded by forest, loneliness, death in the dark forest. But the life I lived myself was different, a different way. A city. People. Concerts. Poetry. Altogether, I was lucky. One of the few, because I paid a little price for the things that I thought. I paid a price, so my life was not nothing. My life had something in it. Our country
0: was so different back in the day. Turbulent, really. Rebels. Demonstrations. I was afraid of people then. I had a friend who was taking a walk and stopped to give money to a beggar. He gave the beggar some money and then he walked away and the beggar stabbed him in the back with a knife. All human beings have a need to hear stories. And a rather pretentious guy I knew in school even used to say that stories are actually as necessary as food. I hated that. But, you know, it's true. If people don't dream at night... They go insane. And by day, they need stories. It's just that simple. Now, now some people like to get their stories from gossip. And some people like to get them from novels or plays. But all my life, I've always liked newspapers the best. And I still do. I love turning the pages and seeing new things and the stories in newspapers are brief, and they're varied, and every once in a while you get to read about someone you know. A friend or an acquaintance suddenly pops up. Incidentally, have you ever noticed the way that people are always asking as if there would be a new answer each time? How can this have happened? How can that have happened? Etc. Etc. And yet actually the answer to those questions is always the same. Now, you remember I was mentioning God a moment ago? Well, that reminded me of something an old acquaintance of mine always used to say when people asked questions like that. He always used to say, God's not in his heaven, and all's not right with the world. (laughs) But to me, you see, well, he always seemed to me to have the right idea. But shall we please get off the very boring subject of me? I'm not interesting. You can sum me up in about 10 words. Mm. A former student of English literature who. who. who went downhill from there. <laughs> for God's sake. Oh, for God's sake. No, no. Now, I'm serious, honestly. Let's forget me, and let's talk about someone who actually is interesting. Let's talk about someone we can all revere. Now, that would be enjoyable. In other words, yes, let's talk about Howard. But you see, when I get on the subject of my famous father-in-law, I honestly don't know where to start. I mean, how should I begin to tell you about this remarkable man who responded so sensitively to the most obscure verses and also to the cries of the miserable and the downtrodden, sometimes virtually at the same instant, without ever leaving his breakfast table? I mean, can you imagine that this sensitive man, Judy's sensitive father, This rather tall, thin, ghostly creature was the son of one of the most aggressive, dynamic figures in our entire country. Yes, among the tiny group of wealthy and self-confident individuals who ran our government, Howard's father was probably the third or fourth most powerful person after our president. And the president loved him. Loved him. And so young Howard, when he was growing up, played with the president's children. And young Howard lived in the greatest comfort and luxury and could have lived that way for the rest of his life and perhaps could even have become an important government leader himself. But early in his 20s, he decided, no, no, None of that for me, please. No, no. And why? Who knows? Did he feel that the people around the president, to quote the title of one of my least favorite songs, were heartless and selfish? I really don't know. But seriously, what can one say about a man who could have lived in a safe neighborhood and a beautiful neighborhood, but who decided instead to move out to a small house on an obscure, shabby street in order to write poetry under the shade of the very odd, very blighted little trees that grew in such alarming numbers in that gloomy, disease-ridden part of town. So, I mean, if I'm going to tell you some of the outstanding things about Howard's outstanding character, well, really, I really ought to tell you many different things simultaneously. Because, you see, he was so outstanding in so many ways. But that's impossible. So why don't I start... By simply describing one of Howard's truly most exceptional qualities. And I know just the one. His capacity. His capacity for contempt. You see, that really is a good place to begin. Because Howard's capacity for contempt was so, well, incredibly vast. I mean, he really had contempt for pretty much everybody on earth. Isn't that absolutely wonderful? On all those countless mornings, he would call Judy over to the great bed. All right, my darling, come, hold my hand for a moment. And then I'd follow along and we'd all be sitting on the bed together. And in that rather jolly time that I recalled so vividly, Judy and I were in our early 30s and Howard was only in his early 50s and he loved to make fun of the people he'd known when he was growing up. They'd all become public figures in one way or another, so I was vaguely aware of who they were, even though I'd never met any of them. Really, Howard was merciless. He was always a great believer in uh, universal love, as he called it. But you could say that he flew through each day on wings of scorn, as some amusing wag said of someone once. Oh, it was impressive,
2: really. Oh, God. I had to laugh when I heard what Tom was saying on the radio.
0: <laughs> I really laughed. <laughs> It was wonderful the way he could draw us all into it. Pretty soon, we'd all be laughing. Tom was chattering, chattering, of course, to Eddie. And and all of a sudden, to Eddie's surprise, he was giving his famous views on morality
2: again. So
0: immediately, Eddie Eddie got very, very serious. Oh, yes, very serious. You know the way he gets. His lips get sort of stuck in place, you know. So so his voice is sort of... uh, uh. (laughs) 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 Howard's nastiness, his contempt for people, didn't come out of nowhere, of course. I mean... You had to understand that over the years, and a bit more each year one could say, I suppose, poor Howard had really been frightfully mistreated in every possible way. Well, it was just outrageous. You know, a month after his very favorite little tea house in the park had been closed for good, they'd actually cut down his favorite grove of trees. And things like that seemed to happen every month. So naturally, this was an angry man. Now, one of Judy's problems, I'm sorry to say, was that she refused to wear clothes in front of her father which I, as her husband, found somehow always vaguely unnerving. I mean, her usual outfit around the house was this rather well-worn pair of ratty old trousers, one of her amazing hues of bright red lipstick, and a rather frilly brassiere. The trousers and lipstick never varied, "'but the brassiere would be forgotten on certain occasions. "'In other words, she was sometimes topless. "'Well, I suppose you think I'm some sort of prude, "'but one of the reasons it bothered me, honestly, "'was that as Howard, of course, "'always went around in his bedclothes and dressing gown, "'it meant that usually I was the only one dressed. "'I mean, that was a little unfair, I always thought.' I was the one who felt out of place. I felt out of place because I was dressed.
1: (laughs) All right, let me tell you about the very first time I met the very amusing and extraordinarily long-lived president of our country. I was about six years old and I was strolling happily through the park with my nurse, running off the pathways every few minutes to uh, chase a squirrel or a bird. And all of a sudden, we passed the president, also strolling, with a huge entourage He was heavily guarded in those days, obviously Well, as soon as we passed He turned around And ran back towards me With his whole group following confusedly behind him And he came right up to me And he was sort of pretending to be a cat With his hands held up by his ears like Pause. And he was sort of purring and meowing And then he laughed loudly And instructed me Now give your father my very best regards Don't forget my best regards And then he laughed again And they were Now, uh, can I pose a question that's always puzzled me? What actually is the difference between poetry and prose? Well, someone I knew once explained to me, don't you get it? Poetry comes in those short little lines. But I said, well, how could the length of the lines possibly affect the way the words convey meaning? Do the words care what size of line they're on? But, however you answer this question, this indefinable difference has had some very definable results in my life over the years, in my opinion. You know... I always think of this drunken friend of father's leaning over me sickeningly at some party or other when I was 10 or 11, saying, Yes, it's a miracle, really, that he's allowed to exist. It's just remarkable that your father is allowed to exist. Well, do you think he would have been allowed to exist? past the age of 30, if he hadn't completely given up writing prose and devoted himself entirely to the writing of verse? It was just the way his talent developed, but it meant that the charming little gang who led our country never read what he wrote. The only members of the gang who could understand poetry at all were undoubtedly father's own father and his old comrade in arms, our playful president himself, who, out of respect for my appalling grandfather, undoubtedly made the decision just to leave father alone, ignore what he wrote, and try to protect him as long as possible.
2: You've been listening to The Designated Mourner by Wallace Shawn. I'm Andre Gregory, and I directed the production. The actors were Wallace Shawn as Jack, Deborah Eisenberg as Judy, and Larry Pine as Howard. Bruce Odland was the engineer, composer, designer, editor, and podcast director. Mastering was by Mark Fuller. The original producers were Celeste Barthouse and Scott Rudin. Jennifer Tipton was the co-creator. These podcasts were produced by Mac Rogers and Sean Williams of Gideon Productions.